Welcome to another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to thehiresidechats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. Here we go, Higher Side Chatters, doing the thing from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and as disappointed as I might be with most people's general behavior these days, it's been a very long road that got us here. Of course the majority of citizens don't make a fuss about a stay-at-home order, a mask mandate, restricted travel, or an experimental shot. And as we enter Christmas week, many governments around the world are saying, no, you can't see your families, and most people just say, well, all right then. Because that is what systematic brainwashing, obedience training, and domestication gets you. Sadly, man has been bred for this, and there are many other chapters of history where people should have known better, but trusted an abusive, dishonest government instead. From monarchies to modern-day think-tank cabals, and from every corner of this island earth, the playbook hasn't even changed as much as you might think. Flags, patriotic rituals, schooling systems based on military protocols, forced participation in war, dishonest media mouthpieces for state propaganda, taking what you've earned, and many other tactics have been added to a control methodology that gets tweaked, but rarely toppled. We're conditioned for compliance, bred for obedience, and today's guest, Etienne de la Boetti Squared, is mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. He's the author of a great new book, Government, The Biggest Scam in History, How Intergenerational Organized Crime Runs the Government and Media, that takes a unique, highly visual approach to making its case and hopefully waking more people up from the spell which they seem to be under. He's had an interesting career that's positioned him well for developing new strategies to the age-old problem of a population that drinks the government Kool-Aid, and I appreciate his efforts. He is also the founder of a startup public policy organization known as the Art of Liberty Foundation that is exposing the illegitimacy and criminality of government and the hidden curriculum of organized crimes, mandatory government schools, scouting programs, and police military training, as well as the pseudo-religion of statism, obedience, order following, and tax slavery by providing students and teachers with the Liberator. A viral flash drive, Dropbox, and or data DVD full of evidence and liberty sources that back up the book and expose the control system while providing the healthy alternatives of voluntarism, freedom, love, tolerance, agorism, counter-economics, and cryptocurrencies. 
A man on a mission, and I'm happy to help it along, showing the world how the sausage is made, the government scam revealer, an intergenerational organized crime critic, Etienne de la Boetti Squared, welcome to the higher side. Man, I'm glad to be here. That was the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I try. And I'm very much into this, man. The book is unique and effective. Obviously, we're going to get into that. But first, let's talk about that pen name. You could have gone with Mark Twain squared and saved hosts like me some stress over pronunciation. But why take such inspiration from this French philosopher Boetti? So the original Etienne de la Boetti wrote, was a, a French political philosopher he wrote in the 16th century. And he was really the first one that exposed the little tools and tricks and techniques that the rulers used, not just to get obedience but to get fealty and adoration from their subjects. And he's a little bit like Machiavelli, but Machiavelli was like, hire me, hire me, I'll show you how to run these slaves. And Boetti is like, these guys are dicks. <laughs> I like it. And so that's really what I'm trying to do with the book, Government, the Biggest Scam in History, is expose the little tools and the tricks that intergenerational organized crime uses to get the population to accept having a government at all, even though there's no ironclad law of the universe that says that you've got to have a government. And so what I'm exposing is that government is not just illegitimate, it's illogical, it's unnecessary, and everything the government does would be better served by the free market, by mutual aid societies, real charity, nonprofits, you know, everything that the government does that is non-redistributive. You can't rob Peter to pay Paul, but all the services they provide, whether it's postal services or the roads or, you know, air traffic control or Amtrak or, you know, any of the other things that the government does that's a legitimate service, all of that should be and could be privatized where the free market would do it better, faster, cheaper. And I don't want to skip over this because this is really the biggest scam in history. Government is always illegitimate. You can never, ever have a legitimate moral government. No matter what you do, no matter how you do it, you cannot vote to rob your neighbors. You can't have a couple of dozen slave owners, lawyers, and politicians go into a room on a continent of three million people and write down on a fancy piece of paper that they alone get to make up rules for everybody and steal the wealth of others, it's just not legitimate. It has been the biggest scam in history. <laughs> yes, I like it. Good pitch. Good pitch. And let me also ask you about your career, because I understand you've worked for a think tank in DC, among other things, that helped you develop a lot of the skills that you're applying to this new mission of breaking the spell of government. Talk to us a little bit about that background. Yeah, so the book has 20 plus years of research, and I've been very blessed to be able to see the government up close and personal from a variety of different vantage points and the financial system. So just a quick background on me, I, you know, I'm a technology executive. I've been a board director of a couple different technology companies. I have worked on Wall Street selling networks for market data, trading floor technology. So I've got to see how Wall Street works and understand all the players 
thereof. I did work at one of the big four think tanks in my youth as a researcher, and I used to live right outside of Washington, D.C. There's a tech corridor. I'm a technology guy you know, in Northern Virginia where they invented the internet. And so I've been part of the largest CEO networking group in Washington, D.C. is another kind of interesting vantage point to understand the way that the system works. And so what I'm trying to do with the book is take the knowledge of how intergenerational organized crime runs the government, the media, and academia hierarchically, and then translate that into a kind of a picture book that, you know, once you pick it up, the visualizations, the memes, the historical photos, you're just hooked. You're like, what is going on with this book? I'm sure a lot of your audience already knows, you know, what's going on. I didn't write it for y'all. I wrote it for your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. To be able to take somebody from zero to 60 in the shortest amount of time possible, because most people are visual learners, and when you show them information, they come to a deeper understanding, a quicker understanding. They're going to remember the information longer because they saw it with their own eyes. So if you tried to explain to your friends and family that, oh, you're saying all the, what are you saying, Greg? Are you saying that all the reporters are in on this thing, this COVID together? Well, you can see a media organization chart showing how three organizations, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group and the Trilateral Commission have maneuvered their members into all of the key reporterships, editorships, publisherships in dozens and dozens and dozens of ostensibly independent media organizations that are tied together with these three groups that Jeffrey Epstein was also a member of all three of those groups. And so because your friends and family see it with their own eyes, they're like, oh, I didn't understand that this was going on. I guess they are all in on it together. <laughs> yes, it is a very useful tool. There's so much information in it and a lot of funny memes as well. I am curious, though, what kind of uh, inside scoop could you give us about how these think tanks operate that we might not get from just the outside study? Oh, you're talking about from my time at one of the big four think tanks? Yeah, it's an aspect of your resume I don't think I've ever heard on anyone else's. You know, so I'll just tell everybody it was the, uh, I'll just say it's the libertarian think tank, the only libertarian think tank in town, essentially, and one of the big four. And, you know, some of the fascinating things that I learned, you know, now I kind of believe it to be controlled opposition. I hate to say that, but like, you know, they're putting on a, you know, a monetary conference with the Federal Reserve and they're doing kind of pay for play scholarship. In a lot of cases, they've been caught doing that. And so it's been disappointing to see it go downhill. But I'll tell you, the, really one of the most fascinating things that I learned is it was funded primarily by the Koch brothers and the Koch brothers had this philosophy that funded all of their investments and all of the other either think tanks or public policy organizations that they supported at the time. You know, they'd get together all the organizations that Koch supported. And one of the most important things that I learned from working there was you do not have to change all of society to get change. Really, there's about five to 
10% of society that really, really matters. They're the entrepreneurs, they're the content creators, they're the intellectuals, the professoriate, they're the elected officials, they're the media, et cetera. And if you can get that 5 to 10% of society to change, then they pull the rest of society with them. So when the, the intelligentsia, when the best and the brightest, when they understand that government has been a scam, has been the biggest scam in history and that they don't really owe government any money and they don't really owe government any allegiance, when that 5 to 10% shifts, they haul everybody else. So I don't really waste my time on people that don't get it or don't want to get it or are trying to be willfully ignorant because their paycheck depends on it to a certain degree. I'm focused on trying to reach the best and the brightest and the intelligentsia and the professoriate and the entrepreneurs and those people with the knowledge that once that group moves in a different direction, the rest of society just comes along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Cheers to that. And so if we're going to get a little deeper into the book, one of my favorite parts of it is taking completely separate governmental structures, completely separate societies like the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, East Germany, and the U.S., and laying out all the plays in the playbook that show that even nations considered in opposition to each other are using the same tactics on their citizens to engineer obedience and domestication, really. Talk to us a bit about that and explain to people what some of these themes, compliance rituals, and techniques actually are. Sure. So the first part of the book really breaks down 20 plus techniques used by intergenerational organized crime to create the culture of slavery and tax slavery. And I just want to define, when I say intergenerational organized crime, I take it all the way back to monarchy, which was the original intergenerational organized crime. You know, you're going to give us your money or we're going to hurt you. And then they built, they used a lot of these techniques that the original Etienne de la Boetti or others have chronicled. You know, they're going to play God Save the Queen when the Queen walks in. She's going to wear brightly colored, ostentatious wardrobe and a crown of jewels. There's going to be a trooping of the guard. They're going to have photographers show up and take pictures to reinforce that these are really important people and whatever they're saying is really, 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 really important, whether it's important or not. And so there's like a playbook and, you know, Machiavelli talked about it and Boetti talked about it. And so what I do in the first part of the book is I break down some of these techniques and then I show what it looked like in Nazi Germany, in the Soviet Union, in East Germany, and in the United States. And like I mentioned earlier, the book is designed to wake up your friends, your family, and your neighbors. And so when you see the pattern, human beings are really, really good pattern recognition machines. And so when you see that pattern, you know, and I'll just kind of take you through some of the techniques. You can't unsee it and it goes into the brain and it has an effect that's greater than if you just, you know, tried to explain it to them or they attended a lecture. And so the first technique, and I don't want to give away the ending of the book for the audience, <laughs> but 
they're slipping the belief in the desirability, the legitimacy, and the necessity of having a government to the population as a religion. They don't call it a religion, but they're going to use all the little tricks and techniques of an unethically manipulative religion or a cult to get people to accept this pseudo-religion called statism. It's the belief in having a government, the belief that government is legitimate, government is necessary, and government is desirable. And so the first technique is we're going to give the population an artificially indoctrinated holy symbol called the flag, and then we're going to weave the flag into culture using this media control system. And so there's some links on the first page of the book that will take you to a really short video showing how in just 12 Michael Bay movies, there's almost 500 product placements of the flag usually at some moment of high positive emotion. So the technique in propaganda is called anchoring. And if you haven't realized that the news networks and the movie studios and the television production has been using this, once you see it, now you're going to see it all the time. And so what anchoring is, is the same reason that Coke will license a really popular song and then play that snippet of the song in their commercial, is everybody loves that song. And so when you hear that song and you see the Coca-Cola logo, it anchors it into your mind that, oh, I like that song. I like Coca-Cola. I like drug water, you know, sugar water, you know, like, and so you're, (laughs) you feel warm and fuzzy when you think of Coke and that technique called anchoring is being used with the American flag. And so they're weaving the flag into these television shows and programs. They build the audience up to a moment of high positive emotion. Like I use, a, there, I've got another clip here from Matt Damon escaping Mars in the movie The Martian, where the whole show builds around this moment of high positive emotion of, is he going to get off of Mars? And it builds up and yes, he's going to do it. Yes, boom. And then they cut to earth and everybody's waving American flags and they cut to mission control and there's giant American flags, you know, on the backdrop. And so they've now taken you in your, this moment of high positive motion and they just show you the flag. And so that's why the NBA, the National Basketball Association, has the American flag on the back board so that you associate the exhilaration of the goal with the flag. That's why the NFL has the American flag on their helmets. That's why the NFL does the flag worship ceremonies that the government is paying them to do, that the government is paying them to do. And that's just another example of the artificiality of the whole thing. But the first technique is giving everybody this sliding in the pseudo-religion using the flag as the artificial holy symbol. And then there is the holy documents. So now, whether it's, you know, Nazi Germany, the U.S., Soviet Union, or East Germany, there's a social contract that nobody signed, but everybody is expected to be a party of. Then there's a mandatory government school running the Prussian model of education. So we're going to control the information that the population receives because we're going to take the kids and we're going to indoctrinate them. We're going to put them in the church school where the 
priest, the teacher, is going to teach them the common prayer of the Pledge of Allegiance and the hymns of the National Anthem and going to teach them about the holy documents of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And you're going to learn about the presidents, the popes, and you're going to be taken to Washington, D.C., Mecca, you know, around uh, middle school where they're going to take you into the cathedral of the capital that looks like the Vatican for a reason, where everything is large and oversized so you feel small and insignificant, and they're going to take you to the temples along the Potomac, and they're going to show you the deities of Lincoln and Jefferson, and it's going to be very hushed. It's going to be very hushed and reverent, and everyone is going to be being slowly indoctrinated into the soup of statism and belief in having a government and belief in being ruled, even though it's completely illegitimate, it's illogical, it doesn't make sense, you can't delegate rights, you don't have yourself. If I don't have the right to make up rules for you or take your money, I can't delegate a right. I don't have myself to a representative to represent me doing something I don't have the ability to do myself. I can't be bound by a social contract I didn't sign. And if, you know, my buddy and me are hanging out with Greg and there's two of us and one of Greg and we vote that Greg's got to give us all of his money, well, that's dumb and illogical and immoral. And so it doesn't matter if there's three of us or 500 of us or 250 million of us. There is no magical number that makes something that is inherently immoral and illogical now moral and logical. And so the only way that they can slide that idea to people is to slide it to children that are not old enough to evaluate the morality and the logic of the claim. And so the government school is the first level of indoctrination where we're now going to use all of these techniques that the teachers don't know about, or if they do, they're willfully ignorant. I know a lot of them know about it, but like, this is the way it is, and this is the way their parents were raised, and this is the way that their parents were raised, and this is what the teachers' colleges tell us that we ought to teach. And so then the teachers end up teaching this kind of hidden curriculum, and the hidden curriculum, part of it is statism, but part of it is obedience. It's these subtle techniques that forever condition children into obedience to authority and submission to government. They have drill bells. They make everybody walk in lines like they do in prison. They require the permission of a government employee to use the restroom. They have assigned seating. They can search your stuff at any time, teaching you that the government has the right to search your stuff at any time. They use public shaming. They use collective punishment. They use red, yellow, green troublemaker boards. They socialize the monopoly police through the school resource officers and the D.A.R.E. program. And then finally, there's a debilitation program. We're going to force the population, you're going to force the kids in the school to take mercury and aluminum-laced vaccines, ADD, ADHD medication, there's fluoridated water in the water fountain, and then there's glyphosate-soaked and GMO garbage corporate food in the cafeteria. And so that's really technique number three. Then there is, in Nazi Germany, in the U.S. government, the Soviet Union, in East Germany, there's a youth program that teaches citizenship and blind obedience. And this is the Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts. And I want it to everybody in the audience, I was a Cub Scout. I was a Boy Scout. When I used to do the flag worship rituals, I would literally make a muscle while I was saluting the flag. 
<laughs> I was absolutely, they got me. I was hooked. I'm not, you know, it is a multi-trillion dollar indoctrination program. They had me hook, line, and sinker for decades until somebody explained it to me. And then once you realize, oh, it's a scam, they're running game on you. This is the same techniques that the Nazis and the Soviets and the East Germans used. Then you're able as an adult to back yourself out and go, okay, they got me, but they're not going to get me anymore. And I'm now going to go and expose their little playbook and how they do it so that my friends and relatives can't get scammed as well. And so then that youth program that teaches you, you know, hierarchical, you know, obedience to hierarchical command and control that teaches you, you know, flag worship, pride of uniform, uniform, the single form conformity so that everybody is doing the same. And then when the kids get older, then the youth program gets creepy. So now there's a youth program to militarize the kids. A lot of people don't know that this is going on, but the Boy Scouts have a program called the Explorers where they're teaching kids. It's like another level of you know indoctrination where they're putting them on military bases. They're giving them guns. They're teaching them how to kill. They're shaving their heads the way Harry Krishna would shave your head if you wanted to come to Harry Krishna. So everybody is the same conformity so that you never break the conformity of the uniform and the group dynamic that they create and then compact you into. When it gets to the military, they do tricks like they take the doors off of the toilets so the recruits never have a moment to think for themselves. There's no place that you can go in basic training where you can be by yourself to think about the morality and the logic of what you're doing. And so just technique after unethically manipulative technique after unethically manipulative technique, I'll keep (laughs) going. They all use pledges and oaths on the kids, thousands and thousands of repetitions. And I've got the Hitler Youth Pledge and I've got the Vladimir Ilyich Lenin All-Union Pioneer Organization Pledge. And I've got the Ernest Thalman Patriot Pledge for East Germany. And just like the Pledge of Allegiance, they're all running the same tricks. The military and police are artificially glorified and celebrated. And we talked about that. I mentioned that earlier, that this flag worship and these flyovers and everything that they're doing at the stadiums, that's all artificial. That's not genuine patriotism. The government is paying the NFL and the sports teams. A couple of years ago, it was $53 million a year. And everything, all the major claims, like that claim is backed up. There's a hyperlink in the PDF version of the book where you can see the scholarship and, you know, all of the reporting, you know, around the government paying the sports teams for this flag worship and military BS. But the fact that it's artificial is one of the ways that you know that they're running game on you, that they've got to pay somebody to be able to do it. All of those regimes used political rallies They all have the participants frequently engage in politician worship. They all use propaganda. So CIA, and you know, this is another hypertext link in the book. So it's the government and the media and academia working together. We talked about the hierarchical control of academia, but on the propaganda side, going back to the quote unquote founding of the country. It's been the government and the media working together to give the population by sliding it to them in film, 
sliding it to them in fiction, oh, this is the way you're supposed to interact when you're in court. Oh, this is the way that you're supposed to respect the military, even though they're participating in wars based on obvious and proven lies and manufactured intelligence. And even though they're acting as an army of occupation, you're supposed to respect the military for occupying a foreign country the way that you would not like it if a foreign military was occupying this country, but supposedly that's respectable. And so CIA, DOD, 800 plus movies and 1,000 plus television shows that we know of. And so this is the Department of Defense hijacking Hollywood, letting them use all of you know the stuff that was paid for by the taxpayer dime to make their movies. In exchange, they get script control. They know that they got to make the military look amazing. They got to make the government look legitimate. That's why, if you think about it, now that you know that that's going on, now watch how many times you'd be watching TV, either a television show or a movie, and the government is the hero. It's the CIA saving the world from international terrorists. It's Tom Cruise. It's FBI agents ripped, Mulder, Scully, hot women in tight pantsuits with a badge and a gun. And the government's always the hero, whether it's the ATF or the FBI or the president of the United States flying fighter jets to save the planet from invading aliens. We're going to give you a fake reality that government is legitimate, desirable, necessary, and heroic and everything else because it's the government and the media working together. And so the first stage of controlling the information you see is putting you in the mandatory government school. And then the second stage of controlling the information you receive is we're controlling the media and we're controlling them on the old media side, radio, television, print, and satellite networks, things like that. So there's six companies and we've got a media ownership chart. This is one of those things that makes visualization so powerful. So if I tell your audience right now that there are six companies running hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources in society, but they're really operating as a cartel and working together to control the information the population receives. If I tell that, some of the members of your audience are like, eh, is that really true? Do I believe that? If you take a look at the media ownership chart in the book, you're like, holy crap, there's six companies running hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources in society. And so because they saw it with their own eyes, they come to that deeper understanding of like, oh, okay, that's how they're doing it. They're all in on it. Okay, okay. So like that is the magic of the book. But just to keep going, so they all use propaganda. They all use manufactured news overt or surreptitious controls of publishers, editors, and reporters to create an artificial reality. So, you know, when you're watching Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise, that it's not really kind of real. But like when you're watching the news, most people think, oh, well, they wouldn't be lying to me on the news, would they? All the time, all the time. And so, the CIA's control of the press, which has come to be known popularly as Operation Mockingbird, they also call it the mighty Wurlitzer within the agency. They can play the press like a mighty Wurlitzer. 
Well, that was exposed in the church committee hearings in 1976, where it came out that the CIA was paying hundreds of reporters and editors for the product placement of agency propaganda. That still goes on today. There's prominent reporters that have come and that have said the CIA has not just paid them to write articles, but a lot of times they just get tossed an article and say, put your name on it and you know, you're going to run this. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. One of the whistleblowers within the media's name is Udu Ulfkote, U-L-F-K-O-T-T-E. He's been a whistleblower in the media that talks about the program and names names and says who's running him. Ken Dillian was outed as a CIA tool. He was an LA Times reporter through a FOIA request. So it seems like this program, which was known about in 1976, is still going on today to control the information that they receive. I'll just keep going and I'm just going to burn through the rest so we can get to kind of be like a discussion again. Sure, sure. But they all use manufactured terrorism. They all use false flag offense, manufactured intelligence and lies to start wars. They all use political assassination of rivals, whistleblowers, and dissidents. They all have political temples dedicated to the state and its deities. They all use monopoly government fiat money to steal the value secretly from the population. They all spy on the citizens, which is how you know they're good people. They all use torture as policy, which is how you know they're good people. They all run secret prisons, for-profit prisons for victimless crimes in the United States, concentration camps, and black sites, which is how you know they're good people. They all use conscription. They all use manufactured enemies. They all use paid political violence at the rallies of their political occupation. And so that's the first 30 pages of the book. And that's just to give the audience right off the bat an understanding of the playbook. And then when they see the pattern, the brain goes, whoa, that's artificial. They're running game on me. I'm out. I'm out. Not everybody. I'll tell you flat out because it is a religion. And, you know, once you go through the government school system, the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, the Explorer Program, JROTC, ROTC, police training and military training, you know, a lot of times you just can't get through to those people. There's too much of this religiosity that's been built up. Their life has been based on it. They've been wearing that silly costume for, you know, decades. Like, it doesn't work on everybody, and the more levels of indoctrination that they've gone through, the less likely you're going to be able to have an effect on them. But for people that had just went through the government school system or you know went through a private school where they're using the exact same curriculum because of accreditation, I get real, real good results with people like that. Hmm. Well, that is a hell of a summary. You definitely were on a roll there. And you covered a lot of things in my notes that most of this is subliminal and subconscious. This point about the government paying leagues to do that stuff, $53 million of taxpayer money, of our money, you know, just to reinforce this shit to us with the flag and the anthem and the parades and the youth capture. I was going to ask you about the Boy Scouts because a lot of people don't put that organization in that category. And all the things they do, the assassinating of rivals, the false flags, like, and then these are also the people that you stand up and applaud when they walk into a room. So let's go back to the Boy Scouts, because this is kind of fascinating. 
And so in the book, I break down who funds the Boy Scouts. And in every single case of all of the major funders of the Boy Scouts, there are companies that are 100 or if not 100% dependent on government revenue. All the companies that fund the Boy Scouts are dependent upon no-bid contracts from the military or whatever, or fractional reserve banking. So the banks, so it's the banks and cartel companies that are sucking off the government teat. And so here's who funds the Boy Scouts. J.P. Morgan, the Bank of America, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank. So all of those are banks that have this monopoly, get to engage in something called fractional reserve banking. Where when you go to get a bank loan, they're not lending you depositor money. They just tickle the ivories, create digital dollars, even though that is inflationary and even though that is stealing the value out of everybody else's money. So they let these banks engage in this crooked system called fractional reserve banking where they make trillions in profits and your money loses money every year. So number one, it's the banks. It's warrantless wiretapper Verizon. It's Monsanto that makes chemical weapons for the military and is putting toxins in the food supply. It's the vaccine makers where their vaccines are mandated by law. So it's Abbott, Merck, Pfizer, Eli Lilly. It's defense contractors, General Electric, who also owns NBC. It's Dow Chemical. It's Lockheed Martin. So companies that are making billions. And then who are the recent national presidents? Well, Randall Stevenson, former CEO of Defense and Intelligence Agency, contractor and warrantless wiretapper AT&T, who's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. It's Robert Gates, former CIA, Secretary of Defense, member of the Council on Foreign Relations, reported Bilderberg attendee in 2011 in violation of the Logan Act, and a reported Bohemian Club speaker, and Norm Augustine. CEO of defense contractor Lockheed Martin, co-founder of the CIA's investment fund NQTEL, and Council on Foreign Relations member and Bohemian Club member. And so the people that are running it and the people that are funding it are the exact same people that are profiting from having a government and a military. And so it is absolutely, we're putting these kids in a program that are going to lead them to transfer their money to us for the rest of of their lives. <laughs> well said. Yeah. It's not all just wilderness survival and boxcar races. There is a method of the madness and we got to see how the trick is done so that we aren't fooled by it next time. And that's a really good point, Greg. You brought up a really good point. So the boxcar races and the wilderness survival and everything like that, I like to say, you know, 99% of rat poison is good food. <laughs> 99% of rat poison is delicious. Otherwise, the rats wouldn't eat it, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's become a, the Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts have become a dumping ground for autistic kids that, you know, are the victims of these mandatory mercury and aluminum lace shots, number one. But like, they're holding out this carrot of, you know, the boxcar races and camping in the wilderness, if only every knee shall bow. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that you got to do it is you've got to be subservient to the government and you've got to do the flag worship and you've got to repeat and you've got to get your merit badges, citizenship in the nation or citizenship in the world where they give you a booklet that explains how you're going to be a slave. And then when you fill it out and do all the exercises and everything and you get it back, they give you a little, little merit badge, sucker. 
<laughs> I like it. I like it. And then, of course, the Girl Scouts, that's just child labor for the cookie cartel. But you know, that's another <laughs> podcast. But, you know, with all the stuff I've learned from your book and the the perspective that you come from, I'm curious, do you find it a little ironic that the, let's say, conspiracy culture, I know you don't use the word, I don't mind the word, but the conspiracy culture and the liberty patriot movement, they got such an overlap. I mean, Alex Jones uses the American flag a lot, and I've always kind of thought about that being a bit off, but do you find that overlap kind of curious? Uh, no, I think so. A lot of the media is in on it, including a lot of the alternative media. And one of the ways that I use to, you know, to tell whether I should pay any attention to a media source, well, if they're using statism, if they're running game on their audience, if they're leading their audience around by the artificially indoctrinated holy symbol, well, that's one of the reasons that you know that you can't trust them because they're either number one complete chumps that don't understand the way the big game is played, right? Or they're in on it. And so anytime you see somebody with an American flag behind them, or, you know, like if you take a look at what the news does, you know, the bought and paid for CNN, Fox News, whatever, it's all religious symbolism. It's all the Vatican. I mean, the Capitol pictures of the Vatican and the Capitol and the American flags, and they are literally leading their audiences around using this artificially indoctrinated religion like they're chumps. And so that's one way that you know that you can just go ahead and ignore everything that Alex Jones says. And it's not. And so Alex Jones, you can't ignore everything he says because every once in a while, he actually, you know, some reporter in his organization, you know, doing this or he's covering something good because just like the Cub Scouts, 99% of rat poison is good food. And so Alex Jones and as far as I can tell, David Icke and others They'll tell you everything that everybody already knows about. Okay. Everything that's already out there, they'll talk about that because it's already out there and everybody knows about. And it's only at key junctures do they gatekeep, you know, like Alex Jones when he got interviewed by Piers Morgan on CNN for his first really national and international audience. He acts like a fool discrediting the entire liberty and truth movement. I don't call myself, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm an organized crime researcher. This is serious stuff. And when you call it intergenerational organized crime and you look at it from the lens of what I call and what I'm about to release a major paper on, I call it organized crime theory. Well, that is the lens that makes sense out of everything that is going on right now. It makes sense of the COVID. It makes sense of the Pentagon missing trillions and trillions of dollars. It makes sense of the $14,000 toilet seats and the $400,000 F-35 helmets and the $35 million bases in Afghanistan that the military didn't even want but got built anyway so somebody could make $35 million off the taxpayers. It makes sense of spending $82 billion on the Afghan army and then having it fall apart where they get the Taliban get all the weapons so that we have a credible enemy for the next time that we want to have a staged war so the Lockheed Martins and everybody that funds the Boy Scouts can throw them into the wood chipper and make a bunch of money. It makes sense of everything. It is absolutely the key that unlocks all the locks and the lens that brings everything into focus. Mm-hmm. Cheers to that. And because of how the show is cut, before we get 
into the second hour, I wanted to spend some time on how what you're doing is different than just writing another book like David Icke might. Talk to us about your strategy for breaking the spell with this book and the Liberator flash drive, because you do have a pretty impressive strategy in mind, right? And maybe even get into what's going to go on in New Hampshire, potentially. Yeah, so I'm trying to win the whole thing. And so it really is an educational effort. And so right off the bat, if you're going to try and wake somebody up, number one, it has to be a physical book. It has to be a picture book. By making it a picture book instead of a physical book, I've expanded the amount of people that will engage with any book from probably 10. If I wrote this and I could have written it as a word only book, you know, I got the skills and everything like, but there's only, you know, unfortunately, because of this system that has dumbed down the population, you know, like the fluoridated, vaccinated, government schooled, corporate food eating dumbed down public, you know, only about 10 to 15% of people would engage with any book. Most people aren't going to engage with it, but if you give them a compelling picture book full of visualizations that take them, boom, to the moment of insight, well, all of a sudden, you've expanded the amount of people that will engage with it from 10 to 15 to 45 to 60% plus. This has been the best-selling book at over a dozen Liberty events and conferences and things. I have people come up to my, you know, I'll be exhibiting, you know, and they'll come up and they'll take a look at the book and they'll sit down next to the, literally on the floor, Indian style next to my table. And they'll just like, they're hooked. And so like, that is part of the power of what I'm doing. I mentioned some of the techniques used in the book, you know, revelation of the repetition of the method, you know, humans being really good pattern recognition machines. Also, I'm using visualization to make what was invisible now visible. And so like an example of that was the, you know, six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources out there in society. Well, that's something that was invisible to most people until they see a media ownership chart of who owns what. And then all of a sudden they're like, boom, they get it in a way that they didn't before. So I've taken something that was invisible and I've made it visible through visualization. So the book is designed to wake people up, it's designed to take somebody from zero to 60 in the shortest amount possible. So now, how can that, that very effective weapon, that very, very sharp weapon, how can that be deployed effectively? Well, we can win everywhere, but first we got to win somewhere. And that somewhere, I believe, is New Hampshire. And for your audience that is not familiar with the Free State Project, there is an effort that has been going on in New Hampshire since 2003. A bunch of libertarians got together. A gentleman by the name of Jason Sorens wrote a paper that said, you know, there's a lot of libertarians and voluntarists and peaceful anarchists and anarcho-capitalists. And the problem is, is that, you know, we live all over the country, but if we were concentrated in one single state, well, we might be able to, you know, I think we'd probably be able to take over a low population state, sub 1.5 million, with about 20,000 people. And so that idea caught on. And so then people said, hey, yeah, what state could we concentrate in? And so the Free State Project had a little bit of a bake-off, and it came down to between New Hampshire, Wyoming, a couple of other states, and New Hampshire wins. And everybody that was a Part of the Free State Project signed a statement of intent that said, 
once the total population of the group hits 20,000, because that's the number that we need to take over a state, well, once it hits 20,000, then you have to move to the state that we pick. And that was in 2003. Well, once they chose New Hampshire, people started moving immediately, even though they really didn't have to until the total membership of the group hit 20,000. Those people are called early movers within the state, and they have been on the ground in New Hampshire, rolling back government, building the political and social networks that we need to take back the state from socialism and garbage and control and statism and all that BS. And the total membership of the group hit 20,000 in 2016. And so then everybody has five years to move. So this is the last year that people that signed, you know, some people, not everybody is going to move. Some people are dead. This, you know, some people signed in 2003. Some people got married. Some people got divorced. Some people got, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why not everybody that signed a decade ago is going to make it. But boom, it is going on full tilt boogie in New Hampshire. People are moving to the state every single week, every single week, more people, freedom activists from around the country and the world, around the world, are moving to New Hampshire and they are rolling back government slowly and surely. The project has elected over 45 members into the state legislature. There's around 100 that vote with the free staters on liberty issues. So they might not be an open free state, but there's over a block of 100 legislators within the House that are 100% solid on liberty issues on whatever it is. There's organizations, the free staters have 550 meetups a year all over the state. They have happy hours, they have conferences, they have an event called Porcupine Freedom Festival that brings 2,500 people from around the country to take over the largest campground in New Hampshire, in Lancaster, and the White Mountains. It's beautiful for like a week in the summertime. They are slowly but surely rolling it back. And so what my goal is, is I've got a little project percolating that we call the Pre-State Project. Now, in New Hampshire, a free stater is somebody that has moved to New Hampshire from somewhere else. A pre-stater is somebody that already lives in New Hampshire but supports the liberty goals of the Free State Project. And so right now there's over 5,000 plus, closing in on 6,000, I think, either free staters or pre-staters with the majority being pre-staters. So the fastest way to get to 20,000 and take over this system and roll it back and expose it, in my opinion, and what I'm trying to do is to create new pre-staters within the state. What my ultimate goal is, is to do a drop of the book, the flash drive, and a to-be-determined documentary to over 100,000 people within the state, driving them to in-person town hall events. And so, you know, what we're up against right now is we're up against this propaganda matrix of, on the old media side, these six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion of choice. But on the new media side, which we haven't really touched on yet, you've got about two to three dozen new media internet companies that I like to call DARPA front companies. 
the just so you know the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency is the Pentagon Department of Defense uh, technology team that funds technologies like the internet and so DARPA created the internet and they had the internet for decades and decades before they rolled it out and gave the public access to their little military network and what I believe is in that time they figured out with their futurists and their cultural anthropologists and everything the companies and the technologies that they needed to overinvest in so that they could widely control perception algorithmically on the DARPA internet. And so these companies, some of which have openly been funded by the government, like Google, there's an article that we have on the Liberator flash drive that backs up the book called How the CIA Made Google, and it has the specific DARPA programs, the Highland Forums that Google came out of and others. But Google, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Discuss, that does comments on thousands of websites, Meetup, Amazon, Netflix, Reddit, Wikipedia, Snopes, all of these companies, it's not hypothetical that they're censoring information, blacklisting alternative media journalists, deplatforming alternative media journalists, shadow banning alternative media journalists. They've all been caught. Everybody in that big list that I just gave you, it's not speculation that they've been caught censoring. They have all been caught censoring and they appear to be working together just like the six media companies running hundreds of subsidiaries. They're working together as a cartel. And what I mean by that is, as an example, when the Free Thought Project got kicked off of Facebook, they had millions of followers on their Facebook page. They didn't, weren't just kicked off of Facebook. They got a strike against their YouTube account and they got kicked off of Twitter the same day. And so these ostensibly independent media companies are working together to censor the evidence of government criminality, the way the system works, to keep you in the fake left-right paradigm, to you know keep you believing that this is a real pandemic even though it's got a 99.96% recovery rate and the hospitals aren't really full like the media has been telling you. And anybody at anybody at any time could have gone to 99.9% of the hospitals in this country, as I did to over a dozen plus hospitals where I spoke with doctors, I spoke with paramedics, I spoke with nurses. There was not any real pandemic except in a tiny amount of hospitals in New York that the media was focusing on. And there were other ones, whatever, mm -hmm. but there were not pandemic conditions going on. And anybody could have just gone down to your local hospital and just talked to some paramedics and asked them if there was really a pandemic going on, as I did in many different cities across this country. And they will tell you no. Right. Because they had all this time for dancing. Yes, exactly. They're shooting BS videos. But like, so we got off on a little tangent. But so the <laughs> problem is, how do you get around this propaganda matrix of every single screen being taken over and every single website being algorithmically or major website platform being algorithmically censured? You have to have a brute force attack and you just go door to door and you get around the censorship by dropping a hard copy of the book, the flash drive, and a documentary with an invitation to a town hall event 
you don't just drop them willy-nilly. You target within the state, you target the intelligentsia, the professoriate, the entrepreneurs, the business executives, the content creators, the newspaper reporters, etc. You drive them to town hall meetings. You answer all their questions about what's going on, but you're literally leaving this packet going, hey, emergency, emergency. We've got an organized crime system that's controlling the information that you receive. Here's all the evidence backed up. We're having a town hall meeting next Tuesday. Here's four tickets, and there's like four, you know, ticket master looking tickets in there, you know, for the event. We want you to come out. You explain what's going on. You move them to decentralized encrypted platforms so that you can communicate with them and not have to worry about being censored on Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, or all the other platforms where we're seeing censorship of messages. They're now talking about censoring SMS texts. Right now, the government's openly talking about censoring text messages between people. Yeah. So anyway, that's the way that you do it. That's how you get around the algorithm. It's a brute force attack. It's got to be a hard copy book. It's got to be backed up by all the evidence on the flash drive. And I'd ideally like to drop a documentary that would take them through the process. But to hit 100,000 homes in New Hampshire, okay, New Hampshire's got, by the way, Got about 1.3 million people. And out of that 1.3 million people, there's about 750, 800,000 of them are voters. Okay. And so if you target, besides, you know, so you're targeting the intelligentsia and the professoriate and everything like that. But then once you get past those, you just drop everybody, everything else to the parents of high school seniors and juniors. And then boom, you get. 300,000 plus voters in one shot out of 800,000 plus voters. And you have now, if you drop this on, you know, every house on the block, now everybody is talking about it. And now everybody's got the evidence. And now, boom, you could do that for a million bucks. That's my strategy to get around the monopolization of the media and the algorithmic censorship of the DARPA internet. It's a brute force attack. We just drop these books and then free one single state. And then that million dollars, that's $50 million. That's $100 million of earned media because now people are talking about what's going on in New Hampshire and like New Hampshire's seceding. Why? (laughs) They say it's organized crime. They say government's illegitimate. You now have the whole world talking about it. Not necessarily the whole world, but you get the idea. And so that's how you can spend a million to leverage up 50, 100 million and you get around the censorship. And then what I think will happen is once you expose the illegitimacy and the criminality widely in a single state, you know, I think they're out. Boom, boom, boom. And they're already working on secession in New Hampshire. And so you fire that up and then that becomes impossible to ignore. It becomes impossible to hide. So you can win the whole thing for a million bucks. A lot of people in this country have a million bucks. I'm just going to start trying to raise that after I finish the fifth edition of Government, the Biggest Scam in History. And I'm working on another book called Volunteerism. And then I'm going to take that on after these two projects. (laughs) If anybody wants to help and get it started earlier, please feel free to contact me. Right on. Impressive. Impressive. Wow. I do love hearing about just really bold strategies because so often we talk and talk and talk and there's almost no action. 
So I think this strategy is really great. I would love to see it work. You're doing some amazing things. And as we are wrapping up, I want to make sure we inform the people of all the stuff you're involved in and remind them of the things you mentioned, the Art of Liberty Foundation, the Pre-State Project, the Thick Red Line Project. Remind us about some of these things. Well, if you want to find us, you can buy the fourth edition of the book at government-scam.com. I mentioned that I'm in the process of writing the fifth edition right now, and so we're in we're in the middle of an Indiegogo campaign where you can pre-order the fifth edition at a discount, and the fifth edition is really going to bring the book into the age of the COVID, expose how they did the COVID, expose who's behind the COVID. We're adding to the 16 gigabit liberator, we're going to turn it into a 32 gigabit liberator with all of the best evidence of who's behind the COVID and why the COVID's a scam and how they pulled off the COVID and everything like that. And to participate in the Indiegogo and to pre-order the Gorilla retail kit, if you have a you know retail business of any kind, you can do that at artofliberty.org forward slash Indiegogo. And then you mentioned the Thick Red Line Project, which is another project that we're supporting, which is to explain natural law to the police and support them to say no to the politicians on victimless crimes. And so whether it's a lockdown, a mask mandate, a red flag law, all of this tyranny that the politicians are trying to force the police to engage in, a lot of times the police don't want to be doing it, but they get fired. If they stand up one at a time, and so the Thick Red Line Project is a project that educates the police on natural law, and if there's not a victim, it's not a real crime. Hey, Fairfax County SWAT team, if they tell you to go kick in the door of some dudes having a poker game and steal all their money, well, you should get together collectively with your SWAT team and go, hey, we're not scumbags, we shouldn't do this, we're going to say no collectively. And then the Thick Red Line Project builds support in the community to support the cops to say no, where the community is telling the police officers, don't be doing this. We got your back. We're telling the politician, you're not going to fire anybody, whatever. If there's not a victim, it's not a crime. That keeps the cops on the right side of morality. That ends all the abuses around civil asset forfeiture. That ends the abuses around the lockdowns, the mask mandates, red flag laws, all of that BS goes away. The police can focus on uh, protecting life, liberty, and property. And so that instantly restores respect for the police in the community. And you no longer have to worry about being robbed by the police in your community if they're a thick red line department. And so that's thickredline.org. So it's government-scam.com to get the existing book. It is artofliberty.org forward slash Indiegogo to get the fifth edition, or if you want to help us out in Thick Red Line, it's thickredline.org. Nice, nice. Right on. Well, man, it has really been a pleasure. I get a lot of books, but this one is certainly unique in its approach, and it is very well-rounded, totally covers everything. Its style is very interesting, and I love the V for Vendetta model. Just ship it to everyone, but send them something more useful than a mask this time, and maybe we will get the revolution we want. And we can't keep doing things the old way 
Anyway, so <laughs> we might as well take some chances. So I definitely commend the efforts and your passion and you're clearly knowledgeable. Thanks for taking the time. Keep fighting the good fight and cheers to not getting chumped anymore. It has been an absolute pleasure, Greg. This is one of the best interviews I've done in quite a while. All right, last show of the year, last day of the year. <laughs> I got it done. And I'm pretty happy with how this turned out. Very kind thing of him to say right there at the end. I appreciate that. You guys know I try to be quite prepared, but I also have to balance that with being an actual stoner dropout from Missouri. So the name was not one I was looking forward to pronouncing. Pen name even. Could have been anybody. Etienne de la Boetti squared. My wife has heard me walking around the house repeating that to myself way too much this past week. But now it is properly burned in my brain. And this episode is not what I had planned to be the last show of the year. I had something a little more history of religion, psychedelics, Christmas-esque. But we had to postpone it. And hey, a good show is a good show, and we'll have that one in a few weeks. Today's material, though, it is a gap in the coverage that we haven't really had in a while. Political philosophy, social structure, these sorts of things. And his book really is unique enough to tell you guys about. Hard to showcase a highly visual book on an audio show. But as a tangible visual medium, I could totally see one of my buddies picking it up off the coffee table, flipping through it, and finding some things that make them think, or even make them laugh, which is a lot of times better. He includes a lot of diagrams in the book that you might have seen about how six media companies own everything, how food and household item brands boil down to just Kraft, P&G, Nestle, Johnson & Johnson, and a couple of cereal companies. He includes the detailed Venn diagrams of regulatory capture that I think we first dug into with Magnora 7. I think he might have even made them, if I'm not mistaken, but Etienne has curated all the most important graphics for people to understand how corrupt and tightly controlled almost everything is, and I commend him for it. It's nice to have it all in one place and have it in a physical form, so kudos to him for the passion and the dedication. He does sort of say that he didn't put this book together for us. He is aware that it's largely review for us, but it's a noble attempt to increase our numbers and break the spell for people who might be open to it. He's also a good speaker, and I don't want to interrupt people when they're on a roll, so I didn't try to shoehorn my criticisms in until the second hour, and it's kind of bad form to do that after a guest is gone, but two hours flies by sometimes, and I'm always on the fence about, well, I can just say what I want to say later and not take up their time with it. So sometimes it happens this way, but I have the same criticisms I always do when talking to a James Corbett or an Adam Kokesh or someone advocating for voluntarism or proper anarchism or even libertarianism. First of all, I think I've just given up on big, overarching solutions. We don't really get to reset the table, and I wish we did, but how is this really achieved? Now, I do appreciate this New Hampshire free state and book distribution strategy because at least it is something. It's methodical and kind of guerrilla, and I'm curious to watch how it goes. Free New Hampshire, maybe free the world. 
The idea of taking all the right people and coordinating a big collective move is lofty. People really have to be dedicated. But it's at least a measurable, real, practical approach to trying to make some actual change. I applaud the effort. So many people you talk to, you might know what they want really well, but they have no strategy to get in there. So I'm glad he does. I just think for me, I'm a bit exhausted with trying to make people see who don't. And I'd rather just focus on my tight inner circle and making sure my family is prepared for the ways I see the world going. And I could do better with that, seriously. I should probably be on some Alpha Vedic style homestead, but I'm just a little bit intimidated by going that far with it, if I'm being honest. But I also do kind of disagree with this idea that we tear down the government and then everyone just does the responsible thing and opts in to community funds for essential services. Because everybody has a different standard. There would clearly be people in the community that are like, I'll deal with the potholes. I don't want to contribute. And then that gets difficult. Also, imagine the fire department. The majority of people have never needed to use the fire department. But you're really going to want one in the rare instance that you do need it. But is everybody going to be forward-thinking enough to fund that? It seems like a lot of people have a, well, someone else will take care of it attitude. And even if people are wealthier, I just think they tend to hoard. A lot of people really just want another zero on the bank account. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm not saying this wouldn't be better or that our current system doesn't need extremely radical alterations. But those diagrams I mentioned earlier, the monopolies on household items and media and regulatory capture, those are the actions of corporations. Corporations, to me, are the real monsters. They've just captured the government. It's why my very simple solution, and there's probably flaws in it somewhere, is that we dissolve the structure of a corporation, and every company is the responsibility of its owner. So if Nestle does something wrong, the owner of Nestle goes to jail. I also think that helps to keep things decentralized and to keep companies and businesses regional. Which is fine. You can make a lot of money regionally. You don't need to have this national brand. Because the bigger you get, the harder it is to control. And so there's a mechanism there that owners are going to want to make sure everything's locked tight because they are on the hook for it. Getting too big to know that slave labor in Indonesia is making your clothes is not an excuse in this model I'm trying to come up with. And again, hypothetical. I don't get to make rules, but it seems like something that would be very simple and would work. I also think about that example that we had from the Libertarian Town Hall a few years ago. I believe it was something Gary Johnson was doing, but there was a debate over what about driver's licenses? The libertarian argument in general is that you should be able to drive as a free man and you don't need a license from the government. Okay, well, a lot of people aren't equipped to drive. What about people who are getting too old? What about people who don't have the best eyesight? We kind of have to, quote, limit their freedom so that the rest of us can drive safe on the highway. And it very quickly starts to sound like you need a goddamn driver's license. And these are not direct criticisms of anything that Etienne de la Boetti Squared brought up today, but just these types of conversations. I haven't heard them answer these questions very well. 
It does sound good, though. I like a lot of the things they promote, and I've never lived in any other system. I've never seen a true libertarian community, so it's all just hypothetical, really. I've had people say to me recently, I think your shows on health and farming are boring. <laughs> Fair enough. But you can control your health and what you put in your body and where you get your food from. This is just a thought exercise for a lot of us. Unless we're really going to become part of the Free State Project, which again, I really do think is a creative approach. It's a love-hate relationship, but I kind of like where I am. I've kind of just given up hope on getting large groups of people to do anything in unison. Maybe I'm still soured by Occupy. In fact, I know I am. But for people who did hear the full show, we did get into a little of that back and forth in the second hour. I did bring up some concerns, and he did have some pretty good, solid responses. But again, it's all kind of hypothetical. We can both think different things are the true problem, corporations versus government, and we can both think people will either come together or get hung up on the details, and we'll probably never get to verify those things in the real world. I mean, we will, and I do hope the Free State Project is successful, but on a national level, I'm not as confident. Which is sad. We should have the freedom to explore different ways of living. It's disappointing that we don't. But I just come back to control the things that you can and accept the things you can't. Not saying just lie back and accept a boot on your neck, but you can probably reorient yourself so that that's less likely to happen. So that you have a little more personal control. But I enjoyed the conversation and just how well Etienne knows the material. I think his passion is really entertaining. As I mentioned, we got more into what could come next after we tear down what we have in the second hour. The principles of voluntarism and how it would work for various sectors of society. How to address the corporate side of the big machine. Security and dispute resolution in voluntarism the DARPA internet, LifeLog, and Facebook, how to make sure crypto works for us, fiat currency replacement options, and what the world will look like if we don't change our path. Spoiler alert, not good. So lots of added elements to make a well-rounded and complete two-hour show. It would be a shame if you only heard half. As always, the five interviews I do every month are designed and structured to be two hours, and I put a lot of work into crafting the path. So if you find the first hour compelling, of course the second hour is just as good and oftentimes better. Plus members also get occasional joint session episodes. I'm not going to say monthly right now because that's not fair. But occasional joint session episodes made up of your messages that you guys leave me at thehiresidechats.com slash voicemail. Hop on there and contribute if you got something to say. You also get access to the forums and the comments, downloads of all the THC music that ends the show and a discount code for THC merch at thehiresideclothing.com. Always committed to staying ad and sponsor free, 10 years running. And this is it, guys. Join the club for 8 bucks a month through the website or through Patreon. Comb the many years of archives and cancel any time. It's a win-win if there ever was one. As for Hireside Meetups, the next three on the books are all the first full weekend of January. And we got meetups happening in Portland, Maine, Joplin, Missouri, and Raleigh, North Carolina. If you're near one, check the calendar at HiresideMeetups.com for all the details. And if you're not near one, making your own event is super easy as well. Find the others and we will actually build back better. 
But that is it. Big thanks to our guest for taking the time. Check out the book and the Liberator Drive if that's your thing. I hope everyone enjoyed the show and cheers to the year ahead. Take care of you and yours. Be good to each other. And I'm getting out of here. I've done my part. Your move, government goose steppers, system supporters, and empire advocates. Your fucking move. Well, they tie that yellow ribbon around the oak tree. They've worn out all the prayer in their hearts. All along thought they were rooting for the home team. As they're sent to the game and torn apart. We twist this tourniquet upon the pipeline. That he carries on. Smoking gun.